Good evening, fellow human beings. You too, young human being. I wish I could walk like the milt. He's always so relaxed. He just strides. Looks so relaxed, my brother, when you walk. I like it. It's cool. Thank you for your thoughts this morning. Appreciate it. Really do. Okay, Book of Acts. We are in chapter 5. Just recap to bring us up onto the same page. We um, just want to recap with you what, what um, sort of transpired last week. Um, just a few lessons. The Spirit basically has two priorities. If the Holy Spirit is among us as a church, it would push us, or He, He is a person, He would push us towards proclaiming the gospel to the people in our community. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit wants the world to be saved. That's the heart of Christ. So the church, when the church loses focus of of that, it becomes a problem. But however, at the same time, the, the, the Spirit has another priority, and that's to unify the saints. And that's inward focused, is that He wants us to love one another. Jesus said, this is how all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's what we see in this, previous, in this previous text that we looked at, that this church was one in mind and heart. And they shared their possessions with one another to the extent that they would sell their stuff. Why would you do that unless you care about the person that doesn't have food? Why would you go sell your piece of land if you didn't really care about the poor widows in the church? And I think that we need to, um, we really need to have a heart, especially for the widows, uh, as you know, the husband list. And so, so the Spirit will always drive the church into two directions. Let's go reach the lost and let's love one another. That should be the, the, the key. Um, so the, the text says that they were one in thoughts and emotions. If you want to, you can, you can go check that out in chapter 4, the last few verses there. Um, and I believe that they were one in, one in mind. They were thinking the same way and they were feeling the same way about things because they shared two very important things. Number one, they had the same master. When me and my wife, when both of us agree that Jesus is our master in our home, it's very easy to be one in mind. It's very easy to to have the same feelings towards things. Let's do what He wants. Jesus unites us, and that's something we should have in the church as well. What what often happens is, is that under the surface, individuals might not have Jesus as their master. Without them knowing it, they are their own master. And that's when issues develop in the church especially. Well, I want what I want. No, 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 no. We must all want what Jesus wants, then we'll be of the same mind and heart. And that flows into the second M. The second thing that united this church was the mission. They all agreed with this mission. And the mission is twofold, as I've just said. Yes, to reach the lost and also to love one another. That's where the heart of Christ pulls you to. So they had extreme benevolence. Why? Why were they so extremely willing to give up everything for one another? Because they've just experienced it. They've experienced what it feels like for somebody to die for them. To give up their life, for, to give up his life for them. So they were gracious towards each other because they've experienced from the cross the grace of Christ. In a very vivid way. And they've seen this grace 
through the display of the Spirit in the lives of people around them. They saw miracles. They saw what God did in, in a lame man's life. It's incredible. Why wouldn't you give up your piece of land when you witness that? It's hard for us, I think, in the 21st century to imagine this. Well, I'm not going to go sell my house. Brother Terry, would you sell your house? Easy like that? I don't think any of us would say, well, yeah, that's easy. Until you see somebody cannot see or come in here that's lame and, and a miracle is done to that extent. I mean, it, it wakes you up to a different way. And I think that's what the church experienced here. We see the introduction of Barnabas. So we see this, and remember now from last week, we see this church sells their stuff and they give generally. They bring it to the apostles' feet. And then Luke zooms in on an example, Barnabas, right? And uh, one of the things the text pointed out to us um, yesterday, last week was just the fact that Barnabas was a nickname given by the apostles to, um, what's his name? Joseph, right? To Joseph. His name is actually Joseph. And Barnabas means son of encouragement. Um, and so the, the challenge I, I laid at our feet last week was like, okay, if you were with the apostles, what's the nickname they would have given you? Something interesting to, to think about. So, so far we've seen a church that has experienced some powerful things. This is a growing church. They've seen tremendous miracles. They, they, they've seen people speak in tongues. They themselves have been speaking in different languages. Okay, so, so they've experienced the power of the Spirit in incredible ways. We see a church that's now multiplied to thousands of people. Okay, and uh, we've seen them go through persecution with Peter and John, right? That go before the Sanhedrin. Okay, so they've, they've, they've experienced persecution from without. And what did it do? It just emboldened them. Because when, when Peter and John came back, what did they do? They prayed. And then the place where they were was shaken. And so every time the church is persecuted from without, it bounces back even more aggressively, stronger, more powerful. What we see in chapter 5 tonight is Satan tries something else now. Hey, I've, I've attacked the church from without. I've used the Sanhedrin. I've used the Jews. I, this is a new movement for Satan. He's trying to make sense of this. Remember, First Peter talks about this. Angels long to look into these things. What type of things? Well, the fulfillment of the prophecies. Well, the idea that God now comes and lives in people. The angels are trying to comprehend, hey, this new church movement, this is an interesting thing. The God of heaven and earth comes and lives in people. And they're witnessing, even the angelic realm is witnessing these miracles take place. So I can imagine Satan is like very interested to see, hey, what's these guys doing? I've got to break this thing up. These guys are really meddling in my plans. I've got to try. That's always what Satan wants to do. He wants to break up God's stuff. And if he cannot break up the church from outside, what must he do? Inside. How can we frumble up this church? We've got to be very careful. This is how Satan is clever. This is why each one of us, let's talk about Highway 20. Each one of us have to be attached to Christ and have to be aware of our spiritual condition because we can bring in Satan into this place that can hurt this church, that can split this church, that can break this church. That's what happens here. But I want us to look tonight when we read this. Be very careful. Be very careful to be the person that brings Satan into the church. Be very, you don't want to be that person. Because God will annihilate you. 
he will break you. He will kill you, as we see in the text for tonight. So tonight we see for the first time a crack in this first century church. For the first time, we see actual weakness in it. And let's look at what the Spirit does. You know the story, hopefully. If you don't know it, you'll know it by the end of tonight. Let's read. We'll, just, we'll go as every Sunday night, verse by verse. Now a man named Ananias. Remember, he had said all of the church had been doing this. Then he zoomed in on Barnabas. And then he moves over to another example now. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira. How do you say it? Sapphira. Also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. What I find interesting here is obviously when I look at these texts before I talk to you about it, but what I found interesting is that this is a couple. And I ask myself the question like, because you can see that together with his wife. So, so both of them agreed about what they were going to do. And it seems like, as you'll see later on through the text, this was the man's uh, proposal. And the wife just went along with that. And it's sort of, in a way, a, an interesting resemblance with Adam and Eve. Except in the Garden of Eden, who takes the leadership? Eve, and she deceives her husband. Here in Acts chapter 5, we see what? It's the other way around. The man leads and the wife sort of follows. And I find that interesting. And I'm going to make some comments on that in, in a moment's time. The question that came to my mind is, why sell your stuff? Because it seems like, if you know this story, and I'm sorry if you don't, but you know what's going to happen here. It seems like they didn't really want to sell it. It seems like they didn't really want to give the money. They want to keep, keep some back for themselves. What was the thinking? Why would you sell something in this instance and give it to God and then sort of decide, no, I'm just going to give half or a little bit of it? What, what is the mentality behind it? And, and I, I try to put myself in the situation, in the context. Imagine you are Ananias and Sapphira. And you are in this vibrant Jerusalem church. And you hear, hey, Johnny just sold his old farm on the hill there. Hey, Judy sold the, the piece of land she got from her grandparents. Oh, and Jake, I mean, he just, he just sold that piece of property right next to the temple. What do you think is happening? Potentially. Well, it seems like everybody's doing it. This seems to be the appropriate thing to do. It seems, there's a little bit of pressure, wouldn't you say? There's a little bit of pressure. You see, um, Christians either inspire you to be more like Christ and to be benevolent, or they put a bit of pressure on you. And the content of your heart will determine how you will respond towards that pressure. I don't think their hearts were fully in it. That's the problem from the beginning. Now, sometimes that comes across our table as well. Three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I did a lesson, and I challenged the church. I had these little buckets or whatever you call it. And I said, hey, why don't you do a Bible study with somebody? And I, I, I think that some people were sitting here thinking, I don't want to do this. Oh, but she's doing it and he's doing it. Ah. That's, that's, that's the type of social pressure that we experience in the church. 
Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? It can be a good thing dependent on who? On you. It depends on what you do with it. In this instance, I think it was a bad thing for them. Their hearts went right. You see, I think when there's this type of pressure on you that comes from the church, the goodness of the church, is that, you know, it's either, yes, I'm all in, or no, I'm not in. It has to be yes or no. It cannot be um, uh, yes, no. That's what happens here. It's like yes, no. It's either yes or it's no. And you have to make up your mind. Okay? He says, well, he, he brought the rest, the rest, and he put it at the apostles' feet. It seems almost to me like he brought the leftovers. He sold it with the intention of helping the poor, that was sort of the idea. Well, I'm going to sell my piece of land because the poor need it. But in the back of his mind, he's actually thinking, hey, I need a new Toyota. Or whatever the case may be. And so he ended up keeping the money for himself. I don't know if that was his intention from the beginning. Or when he got the money in his hands, then he was like, hey, I can do something with this that I'd like to do. Either way, what did he do? Did not do. He didn't stick to his commitment. And maybe that's, some of us are asking the question, what's the big deal? I mean, I've read this passage many times and thought to myself, but what's the big deal? I mean, if I sell, if I go sell my car and I keep half of it and give the other half to the church, what's wrong with that? You know, nothing. You know? Exactly. Except if I go and I say, hey, I'm going to sell my car. I come to the church leadership and I say, I'm going to sell my car. I've got somebody that's going to buy it for 10000 And I sell it for 10000 I say to him, I only sold it for five. Then I'm lying. And I think that's what happened here. Let's continue reading verse 3 and 4. Then Peter said, now he's, he's <laughs> imagine Ananias is now in front of Peter. Now, I don't want to be funny. I, I, I would be very respectful if I stood in front of Peter. This man walked with Jesus, man. It, you, it, this is a different... And Peter said to him, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? That's powerful words. That you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. What's the sin, ladies and gentlemen? It's a lie. What have we been talking about, about the spiritual journey, about the demons? It's all about lie versus truth. Verse 4, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. The, the, the Greek word here for Satan filled you, it actually means that he filled you to the top. You are consumed by him. I find it interesting that there's a play on words here in the text. I don't know if Luke intentionally does that, but it's like you, you give Satan all of your heart, but only some of your money. You give Satan, you say to Satan, hey, take my whole heart, but I'm only going to give you a bit of my money. Yo, 
Is that possible? Is it possible to do that? To give money to God, yet your heart is filled with Satan. Clearly it is. And I think what is interesting for me here is that Peter has been in this position before where Ananias is, in a sense. Didn't Jesus say to Peter, get behind me who? Satan. Who was better to address Ananias than Peter? Because he himself have been used by Satan. There's nobody more better qualified than Peter, I think, here. So the text says that he lied. Now remember John 8 verse 44? Who's the liar? And who's the father of lions, uh, lies? S Satan's native language is lie. That's what he speaks. He cannot speak truth. He speaks lie. That's his language. I'm Afrikaans. He's lie. And he's the father of lies. Lying is the first symptom of Satan's influence in your life. What was the lie? As we said, what he said he got for the land was not what he actually got for the land. That's the lie. Who did he lie to? The text says he lied to three people. He lied to the Holy Spirit. And the last verse there, he lied to human beings. And he lied to God. All in one lie. That's what he did. So what's the real issue here? The money. Do you guys think it's the money? Do you think the apostles is like, oh goodness, now we don't have the money? I don't think so. The pledge? You said that you're going to bring us 10,000 and now you just bring us 8,000. You're not a man of your word. Possibly. Or the assumption that you can be deceitful in the church and think you can get away with it. To think that you could be a liar, be totally deceitful, come here in front of me. I walked with Jesus. This is Peter's perspective. In front of me. You think you can come here right in front of me, be deceitful, and think the Spirit's not going to see it, and that's going to be okay. I think that's the problem. You think that you can come into the church and operate like Satan does, and it's, it's just going to be okay. There's going to be no consequences. Doesn't Satan masquerade what? As a, around as an angel of light? You come into the church here like this. You come, oh, good, you're, you're bringing your stuff. Uh, you're such a good person. No, you're not. You're filled with Satan. You're a stage player. You're a hypocrites, a hypocrite. That's what you are. And look what happens. When Ananias heard this, heard what? What Peter just said, right? Satan has filled you. You've lied to God, to the Holy Spirit, and to men. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. The Greek seems to indicate that his spirit left him. He separated. Body from spirit separated immediately. That's the judgment. It's like a sword. The spirit cuts you in half. He ends your life right there. He splits your spiritual life from your physical body. And he says, boom, you're done. Don't you think this is a bit of a hard judgment? Goodness gracious. 
Hey, you lied. Let's just end your life quickly here. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Have you ever carried a dead body? Weird question. <laughs> like, yo, I've carried a dead deer. It's heavy. I think these guys had their work cut out for them that day. I don't think that when they woke up that morning, hey, we're going to church. We're going to spend some time with the apostles today. I don't think that they thought we're going to carry around some bodies today. Judas just dies. People who lie to the Holy Spirit is not fit to possess the spirit that God gave them to keep them alive. I suspect... And this is a question that came up in my mind. It's like, how did Peter know he, he, he was lying? I don't think anybody knew about this lie. I think the only two people who knew about this was Ananias and Sapphira. I might be wrong. It's just my opinion. Okay. I think Peter knew miraculously through the Holy Spirit that Ananias was lying to him when he stood in front of him. And I think that's why Ananias fell dead immediately. Because he was so shocked that Peter knew this. Nobody knew it. And in that moment, he realized, I'm standing in front of the judge of all the earth. The Holy Spirit is right here. I've seen him work. Oh my goodness, this is real. And now his judgment is on me. Boom, die. Out, right there. Ananias underestimated the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only can the Holy Spirit perform miracles, and you see, they've just seen the good side of the Holy Spirit. Wow, He can perform miracles. He can make you speak in tongues. He drives out demons. But he underestimated the fact that the Holy Spirit can read minds. And that the Holy Spirit sees what nobody else does. And the Holy Spirit hears conversations behind walls that nobody else does. And the Holy Spirit can see the motives of a person's heart where nobody else can. He underestimated the Holy Spirit. So you receive the death penalty for keeping some of your own money. Why is God acting so harshly? Don't you think that's a bit harsh? This is, ladies and gentlemen, a teaching moment in the life of the early brand new church. And God is setting the standard. He's laying out the standard. The Holy Spirit is the one teaching the church here. And Ananias and Sapphira, they're collateral damage, if you want to call it that. So far, the Holy Spirit has taught them the following. Just some of the lessons I've picked up. The Holy Spirit has taught them, don't fear the rulers. Don't fear the Sanhedrin. They can do nothing against you. My Spirit is in you. We'll conquer the world. He's taught them that. He's taught them, don't keep quiet. It doesn't matter what the Sanhedrin says. It doesn't matter what the high priest says. You keep on speaking in my name. But now, in verse 5 and verse 11, the lesson. This is why it's written in the book of Luke. Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. That's what it's all about. The Spirit is sending a message to the church for all ages. 
and for the human race for all ages, that His church is holy. And Satan has no place in it. Not even a little bit. That's the point, I believe. For the first time, picture carefully. You've studied this with me. We are in chapter 5 now. Have we read once about the church being in fear? Do you think they're scared of the Sanhedrin? Nah. Are they scared of the Jews? No, they're scared of nobody. They don't fear the king. They don't fear the Sanhedrin. They don't fear the Romans. They don't fear the Sanhedrin. They don't fear the Jews. And God reminds them, hey, there's somebody you have to fear. For the first time, they phobos, which is the Greek word for fear. They don't fear those outside whom they can't see. God reminds them, hey, you need to be careful. You need to fear the one inside the church that you cannot see. The Holy Spirit, the dunamis. The one that is powerful in miracles, but also powerful in judgment, in keeping the church pure. The Holy Spirit, I've seen it. You know, we've been in ministry for a number of years. I've seen, and this might be bold to say, but I've, I've seen the Holy Spirit fuel people and launch them and fill them with blessings and use them powerfully in ministry. But I've seen the same thing. I've seen the Holy Spirit finish people. The Holy Spirit will fuel you or He'll finish you. I've seen people's lives fall apart when they deny Him, reject the calling of the Holy Spirit. So we we should be very careful of this invisible presence of God in our midst. The penalty is severe as warning and as punishment. Because God is making an example. We do it in our law system, don't we? We do the same thing. We make examples of people so that others won't do the same. Sorry, Ananias and Sapphira. You made a bad mistake. Severe penalty because Ananias is the first person. Listen to this carefully. Ananias is the first person to bring Satan into the church. You don't want to be that guy. Be very careful, ladies and gentlemen, of bringing Satan into his church. This judgment is not only, think carefully, this is not just the judgment on Ananias. On who else is this judgment? This is a judgment upon Satan. Satan trying to get a finger into the church. Uh Uh-uh. You stay out of here. I think this judgment needs to be applied to the church today too. The question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? Sometimes we are so afraid of confrontation, we don't want to tell people in the church, you're walking in sin and you're hurting others in the church. That's how we do it. Sometimes we have to be the Peter to tell somebody, hey, you come in here with your aggression. That's unspiritual. It's not of God. You come in here, you've had an issue with this brother for the last 10 years. Resolve it. That's not how you talk to him. If we don't do that, what are we doing? If we don't confront each other about this, we are saying, hey, thank you for bringing Satan in. You're welcome. You can hang around. Continue with your unforgiveness. Continue with your anger. Continue with your hatred of your brother in Christ. It's fine. It's not fine. 
by us keeping quiet when we see these things in one another, we're allowing Satan to roam here. More people get hurt in God's holy church because we are disobedient to the scripture. And we're equally disobedient if we don't address these things. Am I saying that we need to walk around and just confront each other the whole time? No. I'm saying if you do see unchristlike behavior, don't just let it go. And what will happen is one of two things. Either that person is going to turn around and become better and say, hey, thank you, brother. The Proverbs writer says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, an enemy multiplies kisses. The fact that you spoke to me about it means that you care about me and my spiritual life. Thank you. Now I'm going to be a better person. Or the person's going to leave. And if the person leaves, that's also okay. Because at least the church is being kept pure. And Satan is kicked out. Because if you don't want to change, you're not welcome here. You don't want to be like Christ, you're actually not welcome here. Then please go. It sounds harsh. Is it harsher than this? The Holy Spirit is teaching us. Then verse 7 and 9. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Can you imagine? Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Do you notice what Peter is doing here? He's giving her an opportunity. You don't have to die like your husband. Yes, she said. That is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen. The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry out you also. And I, I, I've been looking at it. I'm, I'm trying to picture this in my mind. Like, those poor young men, they've just come back. It took them three hours to carry a body, dig a hole, bury him, if it was a hole, I don't know. But it's, it's hard work. They probably did some type of embalming with herbs and stuff. And they're on their way back. It's like, sure, that was tough. They get to the door. There's another dead person. Can you imagine? It's like, oh, man, we've got to go again. It's crazy. And it's like Peter is saying, do you hear that by the door? Ah, oh, these guys are back. These guys have just buried your husband. And they'll carry you too. No wonder she just falls dead. Given an opportunity this woman was, Sapphira can, Sapphira can come clean, but she lies straight to the face of Peter. What a dumb mistake. Did you not see Peter perform these miracles? Are you asinine? Is that the word? Are you asinine? Do you not understand? This guy drives out demons and you, go, you think you can lie to him. Like, what do you think the Holy Spirit is? Do you think the Holy Spirit is blind? The opposite of Adam and Eve, I think, yeah. She follows her husband. She is loyal to her husband instead of Christ. Her and Ananias probably said, you know, they won't know what we got for the land. Let's just say this or that. They tested the Holy Spirit and failed. Ladies and gentlemen, don't test the Holy Spirit. What I find interesting if we compare this to the Garden of Eden just once again is that some of the differences. In the Garden of Eden, what was the penalty for eating from the tree? You will die. What's the penalty for this? They died. 
The difference is in the Garden of Eden, it was a delayed death. Here in the New Testament church, it's an immediate death. What does that tell you about the church? If the church is Eden, how much more serious does God take sin in it? If the penalty for death is immediate in the church, but it's delayed in Eden, it means that the church is even, we could say, a holier place than Eden. Because God's judgment is more severe in it than in Eden. The church is more sacred and holy ground than Eden. Why? Because when you talk about the church, you talk about the blood of the Son of God. And that's something that Eden did not have yet. When we talk about the church, we're talking about God's Son having died on a cross for us. That is holy ground. You don't just do here what you want. You don't just be able to think what you want and think you can lie and be a scoundrel like you want. It's not okay. Verses 10 to 11. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And there's the crux of this whole story. This is why Luke puts it in there. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. It's interesting for me. At least they went to the same grave. It's so funny. We, we, uh, <laughs> this is horrible. Just a quick snippet to just relieve some of the tension. My boys have never hunted something, so, so Grace said, hey, why don't you come hunt some chickens with us? So she's got some chickens walking around the yard, and the kids were excited because she, she had to, like, slaughter the chickens in any way. And so we, we, we had a few chickens, you know, their spirit was separated from their bodies. Let's say it like that. A few of them have died. And I think that there was one chicken in the chicken coop we didn't notice him, but I think he was standing on a brick looking at what's happening. Hey, all my buddies are being chopped here. Hey. And when we took him out, I think he was like the sixth one, and we put him like on the podium where his life was going to end. He looked at us like this, and he just fell dead. That's incredible. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Have you ever seen a chicken just die? Just looked at us and died. It must have had a heart attack. And that's sort of what I'm imagining with these guys. It's like they, they just fell dead when they realized who they were dealing with. The God of heaven and earth. They just died. So these two people, they sin together in life. They sleep together in death. They put in the same grave. Marriage is a great unit if it honors God, but it is a great curse if it doesn't. So, a few concluding thoughts for myself. Husbands and wives have the God-ordained duty to hold one another accountable to God. It's very important. It's very important that if I see my wife behave in a female dog-like way towards another person that I tell her, I don't think that's Christ-like. 
And the same of her when she sees me have outbursts of anger or use bad language that she says, hey, I don't think that's appropriate. That's small things. But obviously the bigger things would be even worse. Hey, the way that you do business, I don't think that's godly. We have to hold one another accountable as married partners. Look at that. Look at Adam and Eve. This is a key problem in many marriages. We hold one another accountable. We help one another be loyal to God. Secondly, if you can't give to God with your whole heart, rather than give. That's sort of what I see with Ananias. You know, Ananias and Sapphira would have been fine if they just said, um, we're not going to sell our land. The Holy Spirit wouldn't have knocked on their door and said, you're going to die now because you didn't sell your land. That's not what, it wouldn't have happened. Because they were not sold out fully, they caught themselves in a trap. Well, I don't really want to give everything. I want to give some. And they got caught in a lie, and it cost them their souls. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Remember the church in Laodicea? I'll spit you out of my mouth. Why? Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Just decide. Hot or cold, yes or no. Don't hang around in the middle. And that's so with your, all of your decisions. Your time, your treasure, your talent. Yes or no. Thirdly, remember all sin is first sin against God. Psalm 51 and verse 4 says, Against you, you only have I sinned. Um, David writes, This couple underestimated the Holy Spirit. They did not hold on. They did not comprehend this psalm. I'm going to just read it to you. It says, Psalm 139, 1 to 4, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Didn't they know this verse? You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Wow. Do you get this? Do, do we get this? The Holy Spirit is here. Don't think that He's not as observant now as He was during the days of Ananias and Sapphira. The same Spirit that cut them in half, that split body from soul, is here right now with us. The same Spirit that inspired Psalm 139 is here right now with us in this church. They underestimated God's power. They underestimated the vision of the Holy Spirit. And they underestimated the integrity that the Holy Spirit requires of His people. Lastly, there's only one person to fear. It's the Holy Spirit. The presence of God on earth. And you know why you've got to fear Him? Not only because He's powerful. He's in you. I spoke to Dan this week, and he showed me this wound. I mean, they put this little machine here under his skin, above his pec muscle. And the wires are coming out from there. Just, uh, my brain cannot handle this. I want to die thinking about it. It goes into his heart, and these, these wires are stuck in his heart, ready to electrocute his heart. Just think about it. Can you imagine what it must feel like to walk around? Like he can't do certain stretches. I will be like, I'd walk like this. 
so scared something's going to touch something, there's going to be a short somewhere, and my heart's going to explode. Imagine what it must feel like to walk around with something in you that's got the potential to burst your heart. It's the Holy Spirit. He's in you. He can split body and spirit right now. When I was thinking about his heart, it's absolutely incredible for me. Have you ever thought about it? What, what, and I spoke to an electrician recently about it, to old Matt Parker, and I asked him, how do you, how do you, how do you think um, positive, negative atoms actually work? Where does, where does, the, where does the, the energy start? Because there's energy, but where does it start? Who started the energy? Like, for example, who how does the energy in a heart, it just beats by itself? What keeps it? It's not plugged in anywhere. It just beats by itself. How does that work? Have you ever thought about that? It's just, the heart just keeps going. Like, what if your heart just stops? This is, ah, uh, it's the Spirit of God that keeps the heart pumping. It's absolutely incredible. That's the energy that keeps you alive. And we're all dependent of Him. All of us. If He decides it's over, He says, okay, I'm going to switch off the... And it's done. He sees our minds and our thoughts right now. Don't dare bring Satan and his language into this church. Come as you are. Come as an open book. We can walk in here and fool people, but not his spirit. The spirit doesn't have a problem when you come in here expressing your weakness and your sin. But he does have a problem if you claim to have none. If they came to the apostles and they were honest with him, what would have happened? They would have lived... They would have loathed. But they would have questioned their own loyalty to the Spirit and to the kingdom of God because they weren't willing to sell. Like the rich young ruler, they weren't willing to give up for the poor in the church. Their giving reflected their giving of their hearts. That's essentially what's happening here. They weren't willing to give all of their hearts. And it reflected in their decision. They gave part of their heart. And therefore, they couldn't give all of their wealth. They were willing to give some, but not all. We need to be very careful of saying, Lord, all I have is yours. Be very careful of saying that. If it's not the truth, the Holy Spirit sees. 